Welcome to the Unrest Podcast. I'm Madeline Green. And I'm Caitlin Stansel. We are back with another real life haunt. And this one I think you're going to find very interesting. But to catch all of the Unrest Podcast episodes, make sure you subscribe. So a couple of weeks ago, we had our very first UFO experience shared with us. I definitely enjoyed that one. I don't know if you did, Caitlin. Um. His was a tame encounter, so So, I didn't, I didn't mind it too much. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, Caitlin is not very fond of the extraterrestrial. I just like always think of the creepy ones, not like the nice, cute little aliens. I think of like the one from signs that walks across the street. (laughs) Right, right. So this week's real life abduction (laughs) is from... Russ, who is from England. And I find it very interesting that the two stories we've had have been from across the pond. Hmm. I wonder what there is to that. Right? Is there something going on over there? Take a listen to what he has to say. My very first experience would have been back when I was around about four years old. I was looking for Christmas presents in my grandma and granddad's bedroom upstairs and I could hear my mum and my grandma shouting downstairs, what are you doing upstairs? And (laughs) a white lie, I shouted out, I'm just in the bathroom and I thought I'd better, you know, get out of here because uh, my mum's probably going to come looking for me. So I'm just going past the window and all of a sudden this man comes through the gate in the backyard and he was like wearing it looked like a a pilot suit with an helmet like like a spaceman i'm looking and he stopped and i'm looking down at him and this silver thing was behind him in the back street we had these back streets where the you know we used to play as children you know and the dustbin wagon used to reverse up and empty as bins you know so I thought what bin man at first with this silver object and I couldn't tell exactly what this object was because it was big so he turned around and walked out sort of like half turning and and half walking backwards if you know what I mean it was really weird and then he looked and I waved at him and he waved back and then he, he went behind this silver object which I thought were a dustbin wagon at first. And this thing juddered then from side to side and then it just disappeared. And I looked up thinking, did that go up in the sky? You know, and it, there were fairly big windows anyway and I was still looking up into the, the, the sort of like sky, trying to figure out where this, this thing had gone. My grandma and my mum shouted out, you know, up again, why, why are you? And I'm coming... So I went into the bathroom and then went downstairs and I never really said anything because obviously they'd have known that I were in the bedroom. That was one of the first. There's that many, to be honest. But right, so then round about when I was 10, I was out in the the backyard again and there was like some kind of flying saucer with lights all the way around it. And I'm I'm thinking, "It's, it's a UFO, it's a UFO. 
So I'm running, you know, to, to tell everybody, you know, what I'd seen. D- didn't seem that interested. So then, let's see, uh, back there, still about um, when I lived over that area, we was playing out in the back streets and we're playing something called tin can squat. It's like hide and seek, but we used a ball instead of tin cans. But if you kick the ball, you'd free everybody of being caught, you know. As usual, chubby little fat kid, I was first one to get caught. So, and I looked up, I'm sat down on this uh, land where there'd been a garage, and I looked up in the sky, and it were clear summer's day, and there was this object. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It was round, and it were like segments, like an orange. There were white, red, white, red, white, all the way around. And I shouts out, look at your UFO. And <laughs> well, one or two of my friends shouting, shut up, you're spoiling the game, you're just doing it because you've been caught. And I'm saying, no, look, look, there's a UFO. And one by one, everybody's head started popping up from gardens and behind garages and, you know, I'm saying, look, anyway, everybody run up to the top of the, the back street and we're watching this object moving from left to right, going in the sky, and everybody started running then. So me, as usual, always left behind, running behind and watching it, and it gone over quite a few streets and I sort of like, well, back behind them and by the time I'd got where everybody else was, it had gone into a cloud, you know. But I had perfect sight of it first before it went into any clouds when it were really close. Now, the, we had seen there was definitely balloons around, you know, um, which had been like these uh, with baskets on them, what have you, air balloons. And was something similar, what we'd seen a few weeks before, and someone saying it's a not air balloon. I'm saying, but it's not, there's no basket, look. Look how big it is, it's perfectly round. You know, it, it, it didn't um, come to a, a, like um, an end with um, the basket underneath or anything. So that was quite amazing. And there were multiple witnesses. I shouted at my sister, look, Jill, tell me, mum, tell me, mum, look, a UFO. And my sister ran in, you know. When my mum came out, it had gone, I'd gone, everybody else had run, you know, to see this. Now, years later... My friend, who moved a couple of years after that, I had a, I'd opened a shop selling military, um, outdoor clothes, you know, walking, hiking, you know, clothes and, and stuff. And my friend came in the shop and he says, Russ, you know, how are you doing? Is this your shop? I says, yeah. The first thing he said after that was, do you remember Nail Point? Now, we called the area where we'd seen this, where I'd first spotted this, you know, UFO, this round red and white segment UFO. We called it Nail Point. We'd said we had to call this day or this area something special because of what we'd seen. And where I was sat, there was a big nail sticking out of the ground where there used to be the old garage that had been pulled down, you see. So I said, why not call it Nail Point? I was sat here where I saw it. And there's a nail sticking out. He remembered, and he'd been in army, he'd just come out of army, he'd been in army um, like six, um, seven years, you know, and he'd still remembered it. I brought that in my book, 
uh, E.T. Ryder. I, I mentioned this in, in in the book, you know. So then, so I mean, that's multiple witnesses that have been at least fifteen people, you know, playing out school holidays, um, and there'd have been at least fifteen of us. So then, I'd got a motorbike, and uh, my parents had bought me this motorbike, and that I was out riding about and what have you, and. I came across, on my way home, I came across this thing, which was like a tunnel in the middle of the road. And I'm thinking, I haven't seen this tunnel before. It, it's an area that, you know, I, I use a lot. I go this way home, you know, quite a lot. And I've never come across this before. And it wasn't something that was going to just be, be built overnight, if you know what I mean. The next thing I know, I'm slowing down because I don't really want to go through this. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to slow down and I'm going to turn around and go back the other way, the way that I've come. I'm being pulled into this now. The next thing I know, I'm inside a room. I'm now in some kind of chair, like um, like, like in between a, an hospital bed and a dentist chair. And I have this disease... 15 foot tall creatures around me tall blonde human and they've got like these um they're like all in blue with like a bit of a, an apron on and i'm, I'm worried and they've, they've got a face like nesperato you know the french dracula and i'm petrified i'm absolutely terrified the next thing i had this injection in back of my neck and this tube came down and along with it came this helmet. It put down my throat and this helmet went on my head. And they're telling me, you know, don't struggle. Don't worry, we won't hurt you. So now I'm being like elevated up. The room is, it, it has changed. It's like stretched like long ways and sideways. It's a massive room. And now I'm being elevated up. And I'm in some kind of arena with like an hologram in front of us. And this hologram is giving us, it, it, well, it's like teaching us basic battle skills with weaponry, etc. And it's showing uh, enemies. And along with these enemies was the enemies who was fighting alongside them, their allies. The strengths, it's telling you know, that uh, they've got so many underground bases. It's unbelievable. The next thing I remember, I'm back on my motorbike and I am on the road going home, but I'm almost falling off my motorbike because I'm not going fast enough. I, I basically brought the bike to a standstill and then I put my throttle back, put into first gear and then took off again. I'm looking behind me and I'm thinking... You know, let me get out of here really fast. Let me get home. Now, when I got home, there'd have been, usually, you know, my, my parents would have been up, etc. But the lights were all in, it wasn't in darkness. And I came through, I parked my bike and uh, goes in the house. And like all mothers, mothers have got that sixth sense when you're out, and when you're not in. The next morning, what time did you get in? That was the, the first real encounter with something which, you know, like a close encounter, I suppose you could say. Now, I'd 
been out again on my motorbike and I've been riding around and I'm thinking I'll avoid this this area. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll, I'll avoid this area. So I'm going a different way now, going a different way home. This time, the tunnel is in a different area. It's in front of me again. And I have the same scenario. Down, through, in the room, injection at the back of the neck. You know, this tube put down my throat and, and what have you. Again, I'm in this arena and, uh, you know, shown these images and it's like basic battle skills. So anyway, this, this has gone on now a number of times and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether I should go out on my motorbike. You know, I mean, I love my motorbike and I'm, I'm a, a little bit worried, you know, sort of like because this is happening. The same thing happens, you know, on a, a couple more occasions, more often than not, when I'm coming home late. Then I've got a scooter. I've changed, I've got a scooter and uh, we're hanging around with some different friends and what have you. So I'm on my way home on, on this scooter. I've been to a, a friend's house. I'd had an injury and uh, to my knee and he did acupuncture so I was there talking to him and his wife and they were talking about UFOs and close encounters and all this sort of thing and they were saying you know around here we've seen some strange things and there's been a lot of UFOs uh, reported around these areas you know so it was getting late and I'd, I'd started a job and I'd, you know, said, right, I, I better get off now and uh, I'll see you another night, you know, take care, and goes out on my way home and I was going past this place called Druid's Altar and it's very, very close to the area where this first happened, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this tunnel again. I don't believe this. So I'm putting my brakes on and I'm, I'm slowing down, but I'm that scared and I'm putting my brakes on that hard that the cable, the nipple snapped, the cable, and I, <laughs> I sort of like flew into this tunnel a little bit more faster than what I wanted to, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm in this room, I'm in this seat, but I've got an injection in the back of my neck, but there's no, now there's, there's no tube going down my throat and, and what have you. So now what happens is this, the room just stretches out. You know, it's, it's massive and I'm on this... Uh, but basically, I'm in this, this room. It looks like some kind of um, barracks in a way. Uh, it, there's a checkered board floor. So I'm stood there and I'm looking around and there's loads of people in the same position as me. And this spray comes it's like a mist came down and you know like like a shower but without the the, the water being coming down you know shower it's more like a mist if you see what i mean then this thing comes forward like a a, a wall and we were told to drink out of this pipe we had drunk this stuff from this pipe and then we all started being sick and this slush should come down from this wall and we we're being sick into this slush we're told to drink some more um, and then sort of like sick again and drink again sort of thing. The slush went up and the wall went back and then we were 
in this mist again, like a shower again, sort of thing. Then all of a sudden, there were like, you could feel um, wind being blown dry, you know. Then the next thing, and there was in front of us, there were like lockers. And I'm looking at the person next to us and there's the other person and we're in a line, you know. We was told to put on this, it was like a very thin, like um, like a lace curtain, but not see-through, you know, like, but that thin, if you know what I mean. And it was like this jumpsuit sort of thing, white, and put it on, and um, it, it more or less, when we put it on, it, it more or less fastened itself sort of thing, and it changed colour. It went from, like, white, yellow, to green, to dark green, blue, dark blue and black and it was tightening up and it felt really how can I put it, have you ever had a jacket and you put a jacket on and you felt really good because it it looked good and you felt good in it well well, this, it was like that and there were like boots they were all in one, you know like all in one, like my mum said it was like a romper suit, sounds like a romper suit anyway, um, so yeah, so got that and uh, then got his helmet and We'd gone through these instructions before and you had to put the helmet on before you touched any of the weapons. Inside there were a weapon and there were like three magazines and they fit two at the side clips and then one underneath like a, like a magazine for a, a rifle is like the magazine that carries around, you know. But the, this wasn't, um, it, it was like these one magazines as such, these were like battery packs, and the weapon was a sound weapon. If you fired without having the helmet on, it burst your eardrums, you know, and, and so you had to have this helmet on. So then um, we were holding these weapons and the lockers closed and what have you went back, and now we're in a line, we're told to turn left. These things came up from the ground and there was like pillars one at each side, and on top of the pillar, there was like, I could only describe as crystal balls. And the light came up from the bottom, and it was like charging all the way to the top, to these crystal balls. And you could see the ones in front, that were happening to them first, and then all of a sudden, they'd go forward and disappear. Then the, the person in front of them had disappeared, and it was like a chain, it was like a line. All the ones in front of me had gone, and then it was my turn. This thing had all lit up, and I'd gone. And the visor of this helmet, it was giving us instructions. It told us where we was, the enemy, and that everything, you know, there was like a location, told us the enemy, the actual uh, facility that we were going to take that it had these uh, dragos, these like dragon people and their allies. And it told us more or less the strengths, how many people that were there, etc. you know. And all of a sudden, there's <laughs> a battle, you know, sort of like commence fire, you know, against these. You didn't see that these dragon creatures, as much as you were seeing their allies, you know, and the, their allies, you know, were more prominent or bigger numbers. So we were like in a, a firefight with their allies. 
the next thing, you know, sort of like I'm I'm back on my scooter and I'm riding home, you know, sort of like and you know, looking around me thinking, What you know what's going on? So anyway, so this is you know, another time. Then again I was on my motorbike and I'd, I'd, I'd this had happened a couple of times on my scooter and then I decided um, to get a, a motorbike again. So now I'm riding home on the, my motorbike and I've been to see somebody about um, a, a, a job that needed doing on my, on my motorbike and the, this guy was supposed to be at this pub. I turned up and they said he might be there, he might not, you know, but this is where he is and, you know, said it. Anyway, he didn't turn up. It was half past ten, I was working and I had to get home you know, because uh, next day I was working, you know. So I'd set off at about half past ten, what did I get? I set off home and I'm coming to this this uh, crossing, this level crossing, you know. And I see these lights coming down. I'm thinking, oh, it's the barriers, you know, red barrier lights coming down. So I slowed down and stopped. So I'm waiting for this train to go past and... The next thing, like there's like the I'm immersed in light, so I'm looking around thinking that must be a wagon or something behind me getting a bit too close. I'm looking around to, you know, tell them what I thought of them getting a bit close. Because I could feel the heat on my back, you know. Not happy about it, so I'm looking around, there's nobody there. So I'm looking to see if it's I'm thinking that's ah, one of my mates messing about, he sneaked up on me on his motorbike. And sort of like I'm looking, there's there's nobody around whatsoever. So the next thing, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm floating and I can feel the wind in my face. I had a, an helmet on, but, you know, like I had a, an half-face helmet. So I can feel wind on my face and I'm, like, feeling now that I'm falling down and I'm back on my motorbike. So I'm with a bit of a bump and I'm looking around and thinking, where am I? You know, what, what's going on? The lights are going up now in the sky and I'm thinking, oh, you know, train must have gone past, like, and then I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, I better move it because I'm sat in Millet Road, if you know what I mean, and I thought I better move in case something, you know, smashes into the back of me, you know. So now I'm driving, uh, riding my bike now, and riding home, and on my way home, there's a, a white ball of light, and it's getting closer, and it looks like it's silver now, and it's going over houses, it's going over farms, it's going over trees, you know, and it's getting closer. It's, it's coming closer to me and it's coming closer, but it's going over trees. And the next thing, it flies right in front of me. It was quite a big object, as big as a, a, a like a, a big vehicle, like a, a Range Rover, bigger than, but around, you know, about that sort of like uh, size sort of thing. And it flies off in front of me and over towards a place called Halifax and I'm, I'm looking there's a bloke riding driving down in the opposite direction I looks at him and I'm pointing did you see that the bloke is not looking he's just concentrating on the road he's not looking and I'm thinking flipping it so I pulled over to the side of the road and uh, I used to smoke then and I had a, a, a little cig and I'm sat on my motorbike watching this object go into the distance you know 
So I thought, right, after I'd had this uh, this sig, I thought I'd better get off, and, you know, get home because working morning, you know, sets off again on my journey home. And I noticed, I came to the street where I lived and I could see my house in front of me, all in darkness, and I'm thinking, gone to bed early, you know, strange. So... What I did was I turned my engine off and I thought, I don't wake anybody up, you know, and uh, parked my bike and went in. My dog came to the door, let her out and what have you. And, uh, you know, sort of like, she went in the garden for a couple of minutes, let her back in. And I thought, right, I'll make a coffee. And I looked at the time, two o'clock in the morning now. And I'm thinking, two o'clock? So I thought, right, so I turned the kettle off because it makes a noise, you know, like when it starts boiling and lets the kettle, and I was I'm thinking, right, I better turn that off. I'm going to wake everybody up. Now, I set off half past 10. It takes me about 45 minutes, right, to get home. So there's a big problem here. You know what I mean? I've got two hours missing time. So I goes to bed anyway. Next morning, I'm woken up by my mum shouting, Russell Kelly, you want to get in a bit earlier when you're working? Not like it's a weekend, she says. I don't know what you're doing or where you're going or what you're up to, but you want to get in early, she says. And get up, you've got work. So, all right, yeah, okay, so it goes down. And, um, <laughs> you know, straight out, more or less, let me dog out to go bathroom you know like for a wee and what have you came back in locked the door and set off to work so no sooner as i'd got through work's door i had one of the women came up and she says have you seen your face and i said what you know taking me helmet off like you know and she says have you seen your i said have you seen your face i'm being serious i'm being serious now she says what have you been doing she says you you must have overdone it on the sunbed last night I said, what are you talking about? She said, you've got a suntan. She said, where your crash helmet's been. You know, uh, where it's been opened, she says. You know, she said, you want to go have a look in the mirror, she says. So I went in my office and there's this mirror like, and I'm looking and all my face at the front, you know, what's been opened is all red. Anyway, to cut a long story short, this is like now when I'm starting to become ill and went to the doctors and give us some cream and, and what have you. And it couldn't really make out what it was. My health started deteriorating. You know, my health um, started really deteriorating. It's like, uh, and the next day, like I say, two days after, I've been sick drastically over the, the sort of like course of about six weeks. I lost about five stone and I was rushed in hospital. And uh, they said that, you know, like, you don't lose this amount of weight for nothing. You know, sort of like, so very, very strange. So then, in and out of hospital, with problems with my liver, and uh, I was diagnosed with something called ME, uh, myalgia and encephalitis. Some people call it fibromyalgia now. And it does have, you're thinking, you know, why tell us about this sort of thing? I think this has a bearing because... Obviously, you know, when this happened, I, I set out and became a UFO investigator, you know, started wanting to, because a friend said, you know, 
this sounds to me, Russ, like what's happened to you with something like out of close encounters. It sounds like you've had contact with aliens and, and what have you. So, like I say, I, I decided to to set up um, a group. This is over. This is like thirty year ago now. So, you know, it, it, selfish reasons, wanting to find out if anybody else had had the same thing happen to them as what had happened to me. You know, to cut a long story short, I'm, I'm I've got uh, my medical records. And something a little bit strange on my medical records was that it, it does say, and nobody can understand this, and this is in my book as well, I, I, I put this um, actual uh, paper paperwork in the book and it, it says, my doctor has, has put in, <laughs> and he's put, Mr Kelly is in a UFO group. Now, why would any doctor put that in your medical records, you know? Anyway, uh, what happens over the next years is me basically on my motorbike and going down, you know, these these tunnels will appear and what have you, and ending up. What What's happened is that I've been put into a military unit. I, I remember now, you know, that uh, we're in this like the, the barracks and there's a, a checkerboard floor and there's the aliens that have abducted us and then there's the the other members of the unit that I've been put into, which are humans. So we're obviously their allies fighting for them against these enemies, you know. So a lot of the time it, it's me remembering going out and fighting alongside these aliens with my unit. And I was in the paper over here, I think it made it in America, you know, as well, where I'd told them that uh, I turned around and looked at one of the, the members of my unit and said, don't I know you from somewhere? I'm sure I've seen you somewhere. And they said, are you in are you in the band? And it was Robbie Williams. This is going back to 1998. And I told all my family knew about it. So uh, that went out into the newspaper. I think it had gone out into the daily... St- I've, I've got news clippings anyway. There's loads of news clippings. And, uh, you know, it... They'd asked about this. They'd asked uh, Robbie Williams when they were in a, uh, one of reporters in America, and he said, "This guy says that he, he met you and you were in a, a unit that uh, he was in, and he's an abductee. You, you know, do you any, do anything about it? Can you can you tell us anything about it?" And he said, "No comment." I've loads of people, you know, contacting us, and they'll, they'll still contact us now and say, "Has he ever got back to you?" <laughs> you know, has he has he ever asked you? You know, sort of like anything about it. And and strangely enough, you know, like um, it it uh, being uh, uh, in America at the the Skinwalker Ranch, if you remember, I don't know if you remember that, but it it gone over and, and what have you. So anyway, so that that's a little bit about myself and what I've been doing and uh, 
obviously going out and filming you know a strange craft with a, a couple of friends who are known as uh, British UFO hunters but obviously you know uh, as this is like 20 years so people come and go but I'm still out there filming I hear a lot of people talking about oh it's in your DNA um, oh it, it's a blood group well be, it won't be so obvious for people to be able to see because if it was obvious that you could see then you'd know you know they're not going to tell I mean as far as I'm concerned really all as I do is take me and you know I, I never asked for any of this I mean I, I had big plans in, in other areas and I can, all I can say is, you know, it, it's it's put me back. You know, I, I became ill after all this. And, you know, so it's like it hasn't been a good thing, you know. And one of the reasons why I'm out here talking and, and telling the media is because I don't want the same thing to happen to other people's sons or daughters you know because you know I mean it, it, it just my life just I mean if I could go back and back you know like with my mates and you know back on my motorbike and going out and you know going to clubs and, and, and what have you and riding bikes and having the time of my life and you know nothing to worry about I'd, I'd, I'd do it, you know, if he could just sit right, let's let's go back to, if I could change it, yeah, I'd change it. There, there's nothing, you know, it, it's like, there's no reason that I can see why would they want to take me? First of all, Russ, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. Second of all, a 15-foot alien... That is the last thing I ever want to encounter. Right. One of the little ones like E.T., sure. If I have to be abducted, I'll take that. Not a 15-foot alien. Literally, when I was interviewing him, he had so much information. I could have talked to him all day long. So maybe one day we should get him back on the show to kind of tell us a little more detail about the aliens and about the work that he's doing now. I kind of like the idea that the reasoning behind what he's doing is not so much to like prove that they're real or not, but to be there to help other people who have this type of experience. I think that is a very noble effort and something we have seen across many of our episodes, you know, that, that we all try to find a sense of community in what we're experiencing to help us better understand it all. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that makes sharing these sorts of stories so important. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, think about, you know, the story, some of them do seem unreal and unexplainable, and it can be difficult to share those stories with the fear of not being believed. So I definitely commend everybody for sharing their stories and being vulnerable enough to let us listen to them and for everybody to kind of make their own decisions. So thank you, Russ, for sharing your story with us. 
And we would love to hear more stories like this one. So please email us at the unrest podcast at gmail.com. If you have a story to share, we love all things spooky, creepy, paranormal, and even extra terrestrial. Yes. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and check us out on TikTok. And until next time, unrest in peace.